0: My guest on this week's episode of Susan Search is Jamie Indigo, Senior Tech SEO Analyst at Deepcrawl. Jamie is one of the leading technical SEO experts in the world. She likes to point out that she's 100% not a bot, but she speaks bot. Jamie is an in-demand conference presenter and a must-follow on Twitter at the handle at JammerVolts. A few places you may have heard Jamie present include Brighton SEO, SMX Milan, SMX Munich, SearchLove, and Engage. If you followed SEO even casually over the past couple of years, you've probably heard about Core Web Vitals. It's been one of the most popular topics at conferences and on SEO Twitter. Increasingly, Google is measuring page experience in an effort to improve rankings. What are Core Web Vitals? Why are they so interesting to technical SEOs? How do you measure and improve Core Web Vitals? Jamie will give our audience answers to these questions and many others. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Jamie Indigo, one of the leading technical SEOs in the world. We'll nerd out about the nuances of Core Web Vitals, we'll chat about how to use Lighthouse to get a better sense of all this, and I'll spend a little time discussing her awesome gig at Deep Crawl. Hey, Jamie Indigo, welcome to Sussan Search. How are you doing?
1: I am peachy keen. How about yourself,
0: Mike? I'm doing great. Welcome. And I I am so happy you have a drink. Sometimes we don't get people there. So I'll give you a virtual cheers as well. Thanks for coming on. I want to kind of set the just set the table here and let everyone know, I am not an expert in what you're an expert in, even though I do SEO. So I'm going to be learning with the audience a little bit. Uh, To kind of get started, I want to get a better sense of history. I know that core web vitals were something everyone was talking about maybe for the last year, year and a half. The topic generated a ton of interest, you know, at SEO Twitter and at conferences. You know, from your perspective as a technical SEO, we live in this world. Why are Core Web Vitals so important?
1: Mm. Well, Core Web Vitals are a really human-centric way of measuring digital experiences. And our lives are digital. So the ability to, on your phone, when you've got a poor network connection, connect to all of that. It's the human-centric answer. Uh, the more technical focus answer is, Core vitals are similar to, um, you know, we measure cars. We talk about miles per gallon and horsepower, and all of that. And they are the result of how it's built. And Core vitals is the unified standard of measuring how we build or render a web
0: page. Awesome. So, we, again, this is for my. This is my ignorance. But before we had web, Core Web vitals. Did they replace something? Was there something else that was sort of a measuring stick for how you were doing, or did there, did nothing exist before Core Web Web Vitals?
1: Uh, before Core Web Vitals, there was Lighthouse testing, and that was always lab data, and you, you had metrics you were really aiming to hit, but the adoption rate and the ability to test at scale was pretty limited. Okay. Um, I was in a house gig, and we set up a, a local node instance and gave it a list of. URLs that would run every week, we ported that data into our data visualization tool and follow it that way. But this was a big company that had the resources to do that. And most right. don't. But the correct data that makes it even playing field, everyone gets to know,
0: everyone gets to play. Awesome. Well, recently, you co wrote a post, I believe, and on search engine journal about lighthouse, it was titled a technical SEO. Guide to Lighthouse Performance Metrics. I thought it was really interesting. This was like again me trying to get get more informed on this stuff. Uh, You know, Lighthouse is this way of measuring everything, and it it it, you know maybe help us understand what is Lighthouse and what does it have to do with Core Web Vitals.
1: Absolutely. So Lighthouse was announced. I think it was 2018 I/O, and it was a way of Um, providing meaningful testing about how a page was being delivered to users because before then people were using things like um you know dom complete and unfortunately that led to some tactics that weren't great so people would do what they call hole punching and they would just be like dom is complete and then i'll add this stuff in and sometimes that was really important stuff and we kind of uh, didn't add it to the last second um they announced that this has been a constant iteration and it's been pioneered by the Chromium team, which is wonderful. It's actually Chromium announced Core Web Vitals before uh, you know, Google Search did. The team behind that, you know, it's folks like Rick Viscomi and Adios Manny. I mean, they are fantastic developers who really prioritize how do we reach the next billion users? How do we yeah. make the web more human centric? So we started with Lighthouse, um, there's always iterations. If you are active in that community, there's always calls for feedback. How can we calculate this better? How can we measure this better? Even uh, the Borough have gone through changes and modifications, and they're going to continue. It really just becomes we do the best with what we have and what we know. When we know better, we do better. So before Lighthouse, it was anyone's best guess, and we were making performance critical improvements, like hole-punching that weren't actually helping a user, they were just right. meeting a standard set by some stakeholder who was like, make this faster.
0: Yeah. yeah, interesting. I mean, so what I know about Lighthouse and for anyone who hasn't used Lighthouse before, you get a score, it's like a zero mm-hmm. through 100 score. You get four scores. Yeah. But- i correction, you get four scores. And uh, help me just explain the metrics. So zero through 100, zero being bad, 100 being good, you know, kind of put this in context for a newbie. Like, what does this, what does this really mean?
1: Okay. So Lighthouse is meant to be uh, when, when rum data, when real user monitoring, when the crux report tells you there's an issue, that's when you use Lighthouse or another set of lab data. So we found it it's real. It's happening to real people. And then we take it and we put it in a Petri dish and we start dissecting, we start looking for... What is the issue? What is making this non-performing or difficult to load? Um, the White House score, those those four big numbers are really, um, when you have a C-level who's going to read that email for about 14 seconds, that's your screenshot to go ahead and share to them.
0: Got Not it. meaningful <laughs> in
1: any other format than that. But when you need the stakeholder buy-in and there's a big scary red number, great. You start breaking it down. There's five metrics to it. Um, of course, three of them, in the Crowd Vitals. And these have changed. Actually, the uh, Lighthouse article you're referring to is a rewrite. Oh. I've written it for Lighthouse version six. And this latest one covered seven and eight. I'm sure there will be more rolling
0: out. Okay. And so. One of those is, I think the article is a lot about performance metrics, if I'm not mistaken. So I make sure I'm, oh, yeah. I'm using the right terminology. Mm-hmm. And uh, this starts to get into a topic I hear about all the time that I know a little bit about, largest contentful paint.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: specific, specifically, what is being measured with LCP and what are people doing right and wrong typically? What are, what are some common things that you just run into all the time that, that people are doing incorrectly?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's an excellent question. Thank you. Um, so, the largest contentful paint is. The node on the page. So a node refers to an element. And this can be an image, it can be a block of text. But it represents the biggest piece of content that's above the fold. So what's on the screen before you interact with it, before you scroll anything. Um, it is, you know, very important. It's that visual cue. It's that, hey, your thumb can stop hovering. You're good. Be cool. Biggest problems I see with it pretty frequently are fundamentally the problems that impact all of them. We don't load what matters when it matters. So if you're prioritizing loading your footer, if you are prioritizing loading 75 external marketing pixels, (laughs) stop it. Stop (laughs) it right now. (laughs) <laughs> Too many
0: pixels? Okay.
1: So many pixels. And most of the time people don't make them asynchronous or defer them. So essentially that head is the instructions on how to build this page, how to get to the LCP. Right. And if your instructions say, go to the neighbor's house, knock on the door, wait for them to answer, and come on back here with what they give you, you are at the whim of these third parties.
0: Uh, yeah, fascinating. So Largest Contentful Paint, I think it's the most talked about, but it's not the only thing by a long shot. I've heard you actually talk about total blocking time, which is something yeah. I didn't know that much about. And in your article, what I learned is it's weighted approximately as, large as as much as largest contentful pain. You know, what is total blocking time and how, how does one go about improving this metric?
1: It's a really good question. So it's important to note first that total blocking time is only gonna be available as lab data. So that's what's gonna be in Lighthouse. If you're looking at your crux data, if you're looking at that real user monitoring, the equivalent is first input delay. And that is, if I go to tap of I if it's my e-commerce site and I'm like, I want to buy that. How long between my tap and browser responding? So lab data is the total blocking time. They have different thresholds. They are proxies for each other. And every browser has a main thread. Main thread is where all big tasks happen. And sometimes those big tasks are entirely too big, so instead of blocking things out and rendering the node that's your LCP and then the node that's your navigation and the node that's every other piece on the site, it's one giant task. It's one beefy Herculean feat (laughs) that occupies that main thread for so long. Or if you've got a tag manager in play, uh, you don't unbounce your events so you have a tag manager you have 75 marketing pixels stuck those <laughs> things are firing back and they're interrupting the main thread and they're taking that over so your user is like I wanted to buy it but the website wouldn't lose oh All look right. Instagram notification bye yeah
0: yeah yeah oh, fascinating so I, I think yeah at least two of the things some of the things I look at it, I feel like many of these things are about speed, like making sites faster, getting making load time mm, faster. Speed is experience. not the
1: same as performance. Sorry. Okay, so maybe that's, that's a good maybe that's a
0: good way it. to good good thing to to dwell on for a second. The <laughs> difference between uh, speed and performance, you know, I, I that's a that's a mistake I made. Then, kind of correct me. What what is the difference between speed and performance in in this context?
1: Absolutely. So Cora Vitals takes the idea of speed. And instead makes it human-centric. Okay. So your page may not be that fast because you lazy load that footer. You are client-side right. rendering. People also bought or read whatever it is. But that content that's above the fold, you prioritized it. You prioritized getting the user a sense of my request is answered, my information is here, and it can respond to me before you loaded the rest.
0: Mm.
1: It's okay. not how fast, how many milliseconds that is to your dom complete which led us to that hole punching and that whole nightmare right. it's how quickly did you provide a meaningful experience to a human that's important
0: yeah well and then and then this is try to this tries to be measured so mm-hmm. are we getting okay. into an area I want to just make sure maybe this is an oversimplification but are we getting to an area that you mentioned in in the article cumulative layout shift that this is something oh. Different to me, that this is about. Uh, Ooh, that's you know, measuring really, annoyance. Is that is that what it is? Okay, so that's yeah, not. Yeah, it's legitimately
1: meant to measure how annoying you are to a user. <laughs> what are
0: some What are some ways that people are annoying users and therefore messing up their cumulative layout shift? What are your, some of your favorite cringeworthy examples of this?
1: I mean, if we circle back, and I'm on my e-commerce page, and I'm like, "Oh yes, buy!" because I'm impulsively buying because that's what you do during a pandemic. Um, And suddenly you put a marketing banner in that pushes uh, that buy button down. And now I've tapped into a marketing banner and it's opened up a new window and I'm annoyed and frustrated. It's visual stability. It's you loaded a thing, keep it in the same spot. If you're um, playing a game of shake up and loading things and moving them around the page, it's hard to interact with. It's frustrating.
0: Wow. All right. Well, I have one more question from the the article and then we can talk about what's going on with you at, Deepcrawl, deep crawl. But one of the takeaways I had is that you don't have to run lighthouse from developer tools. You mentioned that testing the same pages frequently, you can use web.dev. You can also use node command line. And then I start to like lose the thread. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what all this means. So let's please take this slowly for me, uh, a state school, school grad, what are some ways you can run lighthouse and why should you choose one method versus another?
1: Hmm. Did you say you're a state school grad?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Me too, but they like bought a university title and they're like, you can have a university diploma for $80. And I'm like, no, I'm a CD, I'm a roadrunner. What's that? There you go. Yeah. So when it comes to running running Lighthouse, your methodology is important because it's that lab data. And, Mm. you know, when you're trying to tell someone something's broken and they're like, it works on my machine. It's important to be aware of that because different petri dishes may have different responses and actions. So in setting up your testing, you're really going for consistency. And if you have the ability to set up like a local node and test your lower environments, then you're not having to be reactive when something's released to production that really mucks up your Christmas. So it depends that's the answer and how you should test. If you only have a couple of pages you're checking it on, you can use something like web.dev and it'll keep a pretty little timeline for you. I do recommend when you're doing things like that, that you can save the test. You can save the old one. Do that because while it's gonna show you that timeline of the overall big scary C-level number, it's not gonna show you the nuances. If you have the capability and It's really not that tricky to set up a little node, give it a list of URLs, have it run once a week and using BigQuery or whatever your poison is, Mm -hmm. go ahead and create that visualization. That's useful. And I love that strategy because it allows you, once you've had buy-in on that first go of, you know, trying to get tickets prioritized and you finally get it in, now you can show the result. That pretty graph that's going to get, a C-level's attention in that 14 seconds of email scan is your friend. Nice. If you're testing in browser, make sure you're not using extensions. Even then, you know, make a testing profile. DNS records get cash. Link it every... Be consistent. Moral of the story is, however you want to test, you do you, boo. But be <laughs> consistent about it.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, we were talking right before the camera started. You are coming up on a year at Deep Crawl. I'm. I didn't even realize you were there. You're like uh, this amazing follow on Twitter. I didn't really know where you worked. Uh, where? Oh, don't what, say that.
1: They're gonna want me to put <laughs> the handle in my bio now. Ah, dumb.
0: What has the year been like, though? How, how's it going at Deep crawl are you, are you, you doing interesting stuff? How do you like it?
1: I never thought I would go back in house. So I've been. I, I was in house at a Fortune 150 and doing the 80 hours and doing the insanity and playing uh, a little bit of steward on the Titanic, going, iceberg, hey guys, there's an iceberg. Guys, <laughs> iceberg's still coming. We're we're still, oh, okay. I'll let you know again get in 10 minutes. Um, and I had just so many amazing opportunities. I was like, I wanna go do those. And it was really funny. I'd do meet and groups with new clients and they would try and make it a job interview. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not how this works. <laughs> But the team, the team at Deep Crawl, I was lucky enough to work for Ashley Bourbon Hale, um, an agency here in Denver. And I interviewed with her, and it was just amazing Twitter patient and love. Like, look at this amazing badass woman who's working in tech SEO. And Mm. I mean, back at that point, tech SEO is. We were kind of the misfit children between marketing and dev, like no one really wanted us there. It was before this beautiful renaissance that you know tech SEO boosts provided. Now, 2018, uh, the Google search team moved to be underneath the Google developers umbrella. So that's been an entire pivot to, let's focus less on some correlative data and speculation about sort of the various strategies and more to like, no, this is code. Code written in order. How do we make this running order better for the humans? Um, and the team there, the interview was fantastic. I, I got to meet my teammates before, and I was like, okay, how does this job make you better? Oh, yeah. And my co-author Rachel Anderson, she's a phenomenal human. Uh, she was like, yeah, they they paid for me to do some Python courses, and now I have i really proficient in using Google Data Studio. So that ability to have your specialization. And there's a thing with a team of tech SEOs where we all know that we can't know everything. And we all know that our our job makes brain meats go brrr. Like, Uh mm, it's it's hard. So we don't really have to compete with each other. There is no drama. It's, I don't know this one to you. Like sometimes you lead the way and hold the light and sometimes someone else does and it's wonderful. Oh, I didn't think I'd find the team of unicorns. And I did, that's great.
0: Awesome, well, congratulations to you and to Deep Crawl. I think it sounds like an awesome, awesome experience. But uh, I've just two more questions, but this one just came to me. So you all mentioned right. twice all the marketing pixels and just how much this gets under <laughs> your skin. I wonder if you have a second one. I wonder if you have another thing that you see all the time that just like gets under your skin that bad and makes you angry.
1: Uh, no one came to your page to see that ridiculous giant picture above the fold. Like if I don't, mm, yeah, it's, it's that angle of like, and we put a giant uh, marketing banner at the top of the blog and the actual content of the blog is below the fold or, you know, I won't, I'm here to read a recipe and I'm hearing a story about some family Another member. One, yeah. yeah. I think Um, I just want an internet where it's human centric. We give people what they ask for instead of focusing all that energy and how to manipulate and game algorithms. We go, Hey, how do we make this more accessible? How do we make this more available? How do we make this more meaningful?
0: Awesome. Well, amen to that. And I want to ask you a question that's sort of a banal question, but I love your email address. How do people reach you if they want to connect with you?
1: ah Jamie at robot.com. there are <laughs> dashes between those words it's great when i um, was solo consulting and i'd you know have to put in requests for the data sources or to be whitelisted and the team would get an email from not a robot and they're like ah security <laughs> is like is that you i'm like hey Opsec, yeah that's kind of the joke i'm glad you laughed too
0: i love it all right well very cool well I have had a great time. I appreciate from one state schooler to another, you explaining this to me. And
1: oh, what was your mascot? Uh,
0: well, who was my mascot? Is that what you said? Yeah. The Spartans. The Spartans. Yeah. Who was yours? So we
1: were the Roadrunners because the campus is uh, basically taken over old buildings of downtown. Like they were houses. Some of them are still houses, and they're called the Roadrunners because you had to dart across traffic <laughs> to get to class.
0: Awesome. Well, listen, like where where can people see you? Are you going to be speaking anywhere? There's like the you're in Denver. Do you do the Denver beers thing? That's a great community. You
1: have the best. Yeah, SEO beers is my favorite. It's it's great Um, getting together with other SEOs to just have a drink and not pitch anything to just talk through interesting ideas, finds, quandaries. I'm going to be speaking at Brian SEO. You can catch me and Christine Brady. She's also another Denver based SEO. Uh, talking about Chromium and cores, helping SEOs understand that Google's web rendering service is based on Chromium and Chromium inherits a lot of its policies or sorry that WRS inherits policies from Chromium. So it's very useful if you are trying to troubleshoot some rendering issues like you ship the code but the content's not there and you can't figure out why this one's for you. And I'm also going to be at Adworld talking about Core Web
0: Vitals. All right. Now, Jamie, this is everybody's favorite part of the show. This is where Greg Gifford gives me a question for the guest and he gives me no context. So I don't know anything about it. It's a bit of a high wire act for both of us. So for you, he has two. The first one is Iceland. Does that ring a bell to you at all?
1: I just got back from Iceland.
0: Oh, what were you, were you living there, visiting there? What were you doing?
1: Ah, okay. This is fantastic. So, um, I rented essentially what was a sized-up power wheel. Like, you remember those tiny Barbie Jeeps the kids used to drive? Sure,
0: it looked yeah. like
1: that, and it had a tent on the roof. It was a clamshell thing, and it pops open, and there's a tiny ladder. And I solo road and camped my way around Iceland, and I hung out with puffins, and I saw an active oh, yeah. volcano, giant fields of volcanic moss, a black sand beach, hot goss summer happened. It was
0: fantastic. I am jealous. I'm going to have to get some notes from you before I go to Iceland next time. Cause that sounds like right up my alley. Brilliant, um, please do next. No context. Greg question for you is horror movies. I know this is a big, like Greg loves horror movies. Do you, do you share his fandom for horror movies?
1: Oh, I love
0: horror movies.
1: They are my favorites. They don't follow the hero's journey. And I love that. It's not like the traditional yeah. archetype. Smart horror movies are
0: a gem. Right. Well, well, this has been awesome. Like you're, uh, you're, you've been great to talk to. I love everybody there in Denver. I'm going to have to sign off now. You've been awesome with your time. I'll give you a virtual cheers, Jamie. Thanks for coming on Cheers, friend. And we'll be back next week for the another episode of Southern search.